0: Welcome to the Datebook Podcast. I'm your host, theater critic Lily Janik. I've known actor Caleb Cabrera since we were both SF State students in a staged reading. I read the stage directions. He was an actual actor. His career has taken off since then, most particularly at Shotgun Players, where he was recently in The Crazy Show, Women Laughing Alone with Salad, Coming up, he'll be in Crowded Fire's production of Transfers as a community college student hoping to transfer into a four-year program. He joins us as part of the Artist Life series, where we talk about how artists make it in the Bay Area, because in addition to being an in-demand actor, he also works as a pedicabby, taking tourists and baseball fans around the Embarcadero on three wheels. Today, we talk about both his lines of work. Welcome, Caleb.
1: Good morning, Lily.
0: <laughs> so, I was hoping we could start by talking about this crazy show at Shotgun Players last fall called Women Laughing Alone with Salad. And that's written by Sheila Callahan, who was directed by Susanna Martin. And how do you even describe that play? I struggled and I wrote a review about it. So.
1: I understand. I, I always <laughs> go back to the director's note that was in the program, mm. a feminist comedy with a male protagonist.
0: Yeah, and that was you.
1: It was me. Uh, or I, at least it was me in the first act. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. And it yeah. was Melanie Dupuy in the second act.
0: Yeah. So what happened in the show or what was the show all about?
1: Oh, man. So we follow this character named Guy and he, I want to say he was around 29 years old. He's a writer, lives in New York.
0: He's really angsty.
1: Very, very angsty.
0: He has some mommy issues.
1: Mommy issues. His privilege comes from some money. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got, let's, let's go with his girlfriend, Tori, this woman he's lusting after that he meets in a club, Meredith, and then his mother, Sandy. And it follows his life and how these women affect him and how he views them it's very much so through his lens
0: tell me about the meme that gave the show its title
1: oh yeah (laughs) just stock images of women holding bowls of salad and looking so happy
0: and they're like all over the internet and they're so Mm -hmm. like There's an unreasonable number of these photos. There's
1: an absurd amount of these photos on the internet of just so many women holding bowls of salad and a fork and laughing and smiling and looking so elated. And then there's the photos of women struggling to drink water.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like splashing all over their faces. All over their faces. They they just seem to not be able to drink (laughs) a bottle of water. No. Very basic life skill. And so... The fact that there's this preponderance of these photos was an inspiration for the play. Like, why do these exist? Mm-hmm. Um,
1: Drawing so, attention to marketing.
0: Yeah, yeah. How how does marketing like shape how women are told to see themselves and what they're allowed to be?
1: And then uh, men as well, and, and how yeah. he how guy does not, is not um, free from this world and how he can't figure out what to do. His mother says in the first act, I wanted what was promised to me. And that's something that every character seems to be struggling with, wanting what was promised to them.
0: I want to be this beautiful woman who can't drink a bottle of water. It's made to look so glamorous, even though it's absurd, yet this is what marketing promises me. Mm -hmm. What was it like being that male protagonist um, in a feminist play and what was that like in the rehearsal room
1: it's humbling mm-hmm. um i was very grateful and thankful and fortunate to be with who i was with in that room um sango tajima regina morones melanie depuis Susanna martin maya herbsman natalie green Bree owens kieran beckia they were all very very supportive people yeah um being the only male in the cast was at times uh more more than anything because of my insecurity you know my fear of hurting someone's feelings or taking up too much space so I did a lot of listening Mm. but they were so warm and open and inviting and they trusted me and I trusted them that we were able to tackle some very uncomfortable moments Uh, I definitely don't miss a lot of the language I had to use for a few months
0: can you I mean, I, I know the script is not fresh on your mind, but do you... Any, any lines that were especially difficult to say?
1: Oh, um... And then I'll probably get really drunk very quickly and pass out in the cab ride back to my apartment while my skinny lady friend gives me head in the back seat, and I will try to forget about this encounter completely.
0: <laughs> Except
1: the part where I accidentally brush up against your breasts and think to myself, this chick has a gorgeous rack. And maybe I'll picture myself sucking on your nipple for a split second, but that's it. Don't miss saying it, but I still remember it. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> it, it
0: has imprinted itself on your mind, huh? Mm-hmm. God. So how, as an actor and as a human, how did you like deal with having to say stuff like that night after night and in rehearsal every day?
1: The trust that we built together and knowing that nobody was backing down, but nobody was stepping on each other's toes. Mm. we were we gave each other that much room and space to occupy and Susanna always encouraging me to take up more space and pushing me to to take up more space and to lean into male privilege and knowing that it was a safe room to do that. I wasn't comfortable i it's not something I would do on my own
0: yeah time. when in life does these days does someone tell you to lean into male privilege?
1: I don't know, but this is for this was for a pro, an art project you know yeah, so it yeah. was it was the one place that I that I could do it and it was tough but they were again they were all so so supportive
0: so there was a crazy orgy scene in that yeah, play the, or, um,
1: the orgy that just kept going
0: yes each time you thought the characters had like <laughs> done the craziest sexual <laughs> act uh you could imagine nope it ain't over yet is it no Um, So I imagine that building trust was a big part of that as well.
1: Yeah, we did. uh, Natalie Green was our choreographer and Maya Erbsman was the intimacy choreographer. And intimacy choreography is something that I was introduced to during this process. And it's relatively new from my understanding and uh, is very, very helpful Uh, we would do exercises where you'd get a partner and you stand across from each other and ask, say, for example, may I touch your shoulder? And that person would respond saying, yes, you may touch my shoulder, or no, but you can touch my hand. Or more specifically, may I put my forehead on your cheek? No, but you can put your forehead on my shoulder.
0: Wow. So this, what I... Man, so that has, like, nothing to do with the text, the Mm -mm. script of this show.
1: It's building blocks.
0: Yeah, so what did that give you?
1: Um, You start to, it was a slower way to approach something with a lot of intention and figuring out where your personal limitations were and someone else's personal limitations were, which didn't necessarily mean they were always there, but for that day. So it allowed us to explore specificity on where we were at emotionally on a given rehearsal. And then from there, Maya and Natalie had developed this whole sequence together and they would give us pieces to put together. So the first position, second position into the third, and we'd work those transitions. And then the more comfortable song Regina and I got with each other, the more nuanced it became and little things started to happen, happening like facial expression or Mm. adding sound or a certain body part shaking. The more comfortable we got, and the more we got it out of our systems, the laughter and the nervousness it uh it got absurd,
0: oh my god, it was <laughs> i i I saw the show twice the first time I was really glad that my husband was there because I could hold on to him mm-hmm. as like a support because <laughs> i I didn't know if I could handle that scene.
1: It's funny you used to talk about holding on to your husband because when I first read the play, the stage direction says um." I think a series of at least 12 poses some quite acrobatic to s- all set to some porny track. <laughs> it was and so porny. I I was in my I was in the kitchen and I was sitting on the desk and I was reading it and I was holding my own shoulder. I was holding my own body and I something I, I, I didn't realize until I was done. Or no, I actually I had my hands over my mouth.
0: Cuz you were yeah,
1: like shocked. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I couldn't believe what I was reading and imagining, um, it was it was so uncomfortable to read, but it also made me laugh.
0: So let's talk about the show you're gonna be in next. Yeah. So this is called Transfers. It's mm-hmm. by Lucy Thurber, directed by Ken Savage. And yes. this is a Crowded Fire production, runs February 28th to March 23rd at the Petrero stage. Be there. Yeah, so this show is about two applicants to like an elite college Mm -hmm. um what what's going on between them and what's your character's name
1: christopher rodriguez okay yes so it follows these two young men who are from the bronx and they grew up on the same block and at a certain point in their lives they one moves away and they don't see each other for a number of years until they are somehow well by by chance, reunited in this hotel room uh, with this person who was training them for their interview.
0: Training them?
1: Yeah. So they go to this hotel room just outside of New York um, where they stay the night and they, with this character who, he works for a group called Work for Democracy. And so it's helping students who don't come from more affluent neighborhoods and who are with less resources um, prepare for their interviews prepare for testing transfer into four-year universities and so in this first scene at a certain point we do get into a mock interview where he interviews my character Christopher and uh, I don't want to give too much away but it's let's just say Christopher takes up a lot of space he's a little frustrating
0: you have now described two characters that you've <laughs> played as taking up a lot of space. It sounds like that's something you have to wrestle with.
1: Yeah. It depends on the subject matter. This time around, and maybe it's because it's post-salad, I'm having an easier time with it. He's a wrestler. Mm. He's just, he just is kind of a whirlwind.
0: I, I like the pre-salad, but post-salad division in life. We should <laughs> yeah. all divide our lives into, like, before we saw that show and after. <laughs> so with with transfers, it, the I presume the play kind of... I haven't read it or seen it yet, mm-hmm. but I, I presume the play kind of posits that these two characters are sort of in competition with one another for a perceived single slot.
1: Interesting. um, No, they are not in competition because Christopher is a scholar athlete and Clarence is applying just to be a student. Ah. So that does get addressed because we've talked about that, how that would really be different tension in a, a small hotel room in the, in the middle of a freezing winter. If they they were competing with one another, but they are they're competing with other people that we never meet.
0: Got it. Mm-hmm. What do you think the play has to say about like the virtues of an elite education and the promise it might hold for these mm-hmm. two young men?
1: You know, it's very much so a play about class, mm-hmm. um, and it is also a play that is addressing a system that is designed to keep those on the outside on the outside. Um, One thing that our assistant director um, said to me last night that's resonating is it's a play about meritocracy. Mm. One thing that sticks out to me is Christopher, there's a few moments where he really needs to establish a connection with Clarence. um, And he, he's he's a lot of repetition in his lines, but he says, uh, you and me, we walked ourselves out, right? Mm. Or another line, um, folks like us. So there very much so is a, an us and them yeah. feeling. And uh, what I really enjoy about this play is the first time I read it, I had all of these preconceived notions about how I thought it was going to go, and then Lucy flipped it all, ooh, and all of my expectations were broken.
0: Yeah, I I, I can see like I presume these two characters are in competition, but you were like no. Mm-hmm. So, what what flipped for you?
1: I'd say the ending, the outcome. And it's also been really wonderful with the other three members of the cast, um, or there's four members of the cast, but watching Allison, I want to say Wise more, uh Michael Wayne Rice and David Moore playing these, the three adults in this world, who uh, two are the ones that interview Clarence and Christopher and the other being the counselor that's helping them along the way. Um, it's interesting watching them breathe life into these lines because the way I read it was so static and stoic and kind of cold, mm. but the way they're humanizing these adults is very interesting to me and it very much so is a world where it's things aren't fair you know, yeah. we're, we're rooting for you end up rooting for everyone you or these these two kids you want them both to succeed then they both. You know, Christopher. I'll speak for Christ- Christopher. Christopher is—he's homophobic, mm-hmm. but he's—he's he's also got a really big heart, and you see his transformation along the way. And and um, he's someone I—I I, I do enjoy playing. He is—he's a, a healthy human being, you know, for the most part. And I—I I want to see him succeed.
0: Yeah how did you get into theater in the first place? You oh, studied at a state, right?
1: I did. I, I actually was a transfer student.
0: Well, look at that.
1: Yeah. So From I, where? Uh, Cosumnes River College in South Sacramento. I went there, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I took a film class, and I loved it, so I took more. And to get an associate's degree in film and media studies, I had to take acting one. And that's where I learned I had really no interest in being behind a camera or writing a script or making a movie. I liked characters and I liked stories. So I. <laughs> this is a horrible confession. I was I had gone to a counseling office and I figured I got a little piece of paper that had all of the requirements to transfer to a state school and I carried that piece of paper around for a couple of years, checking off the little boxes of what I had completed. So it was just this elimination process until I knew I could transfer. And so I was sitting at home one night, it was 11.30 and I knew I had something to do. It was August 3rd. I had something I needed to do and I didn't know what it was. I couldn't, I was thinking of it. I was like, tomorrow is midnight, it is my sister's birthday. It's one of my friend's birthdays. Uh, What do I have to do? It's not those things. It's something I have to do. And I was, let me see what's going on with SF State. Application was due at midnight. Ah. So I grabbed my binder, filled with all my paperwork, and I knew how to navigate the um, application process because in high school I was in this program called AVID uh, where we would practice applying to college. And so I knew how to get through it. In half an hour. In a half an hour. (laughs) I blasted through it, and I had heard that SF State had a good theater program, I think just by word of mouth and from a little bit of research on the Internet, but I'd never visited, and so I just applied, and thankfully I got in.
0: You said that you fell in love with character and story. Mm -hmm. Can you say more about that? Was there like a particular character where you were like, oh, I need this? I
1: had to go see a play for a class and i went by myself i went to the delta king in old sacramento it's like this ship and i don't know if the stage is still there but i saw a production of fool for love mm-hmm. and i was watching it and i remember getting really angry and looking at my program and going sam shepherd who the hell is this <laughs> i threw it down i was so upset but i was so moved and I, you know, processing it, I, I didn't know I could feel that way watching a play. Mm-hmm. And I still get that feeling of when I, when the lights go down and it's dark, I get I get excited, I get I, I I listen and I pay attention and I'm there. And a recent development is in the last couple of years, I can't get through a play without crying at some point—not sobbing, but you know, at some point there's tears that come down. I don't know what that is, but it's you know something I've noticed. And I I get that feeling of. As much as I want to be in the audience and watch and support, I also want to be up there and share. Hmm. So it's a healthy, healthy exchange. There's not one that I want to do more than the other.
0: As a transfer student yourself, mm-hmm. uh, what do you feel like that gives you any extra insight into Lucy's play?
1: I do. There, uh, There's a work ethic that Christopher mm. has that I really admire. Um, he has... He has a a form of tunnel vision. He has just a way of, uh, he's very much so a wrestler. And I like that little piece of paper that I had. I, I, I like to think that he does something very similar where it's just, this is what I need to take. This is what I need to do.
0: So one of the ways that you support yourself as a theater artist in the Bay Area, a challenging place to make a living as an artist is as a pedicab, and yeah. is the right word driver?
1: Yeah, or operator.
0: Oh, operator. I
1: have a little silver badge. It says uh, it's SF pedicab operator number thirteen nineteen. So
0: you get a badge you at, like do. a license? Yeah,
1: you have to you have to take a test. You have fingerprinted, background checked, so you know I'm legit, everyone. And um, he's
0: not trying to scam you.
1: Mm-mm. Yeah, it's all it's all regulated by the city.
0: First, how did you get into it?
1: my my big brother Anthony Agresti got me involved in it he he's he got himself into it and he saw it was something that I might enjoy and he was right a dude's always been there he also <laughs> went to SF State and studied theater and he's always been there um to help me out
0: right on uh so what was the test like
1: oh it was a simple multiple choice you know um about 15 questions Hand signals.
0: Oh, all right. Allowing
1: yourself ten feet to slow down for every ten miles per hour that you're going.
0: But are you going more than ten miles per hour?
1: (laughs) I I might depend on the size of your uh, of your of of your load (laughs) for for said ride.
0: Of your load. (laughs) All right. So, what appealed to you about it?
1: Being outside. Yeah. Spending a lot of time in rehearsal rooms and in dark theaters, especially on weekends, it's nice to have something where I'm outside, making your own hours because rehearsal schedules are are ones that you typically don't negotiate with. you know, so it was it was nice to have a way to to have. It's nice to have a way to support myself and know that I, Decide when it begins and ends. Meeting people from all over the world or just from all over the Bay. It's typically how it works. They're either from across the globe or the East Bay (laughs) on a day trip.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The East Bay. Uh I know what we'll do Mm -hmm. today, honey. Mm -hmm. We'll get a ride from Caleb around the Embarcadero. (laughs) Yeah, they're going
1: to a baseball game or they're going to the wharf or the Exploratorium. It's a good time, and that's a great community out there.
0: So what what uh, surprised you about it when you first started doing it?
1: I wasn't as sore as I thought I would be. Mm. That was one of the big surprises, and um, that I had never heard about it before. It's because it's it's pretty big on the waterfront, and it's a lot of fun. Some days it's very stressful because it's all you know hustle based, a pinch of luck, and uh, mojo. <laughs>
0: How how do you attract customers? Like what what's your mode?
1: You're just a carnival barker. Can, some, can you, you give me an example? Sure. Um, there's one guy who's been out there for 30 years, and he's he's very talented at at getting people into his taxi. But so you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of one liners out there that that you hear people say and. You end up recycling it's somewhere silly, like uh save those legs for dancing
0: oh, that's uh, good
1: that one's funny that that's uh old man hustle Matt Levine's, I believe you know you ask people if they want to ride, say no, thank you, and tell them rough neighborhood. I heard that a few weeks ago <laughs> that that killed me <laughs> <laughs> um, uh one that I came up with is or I just found myself saying a lot I should say is um. Your Uber is guaranteed to get lost because they came from Stockton, Ooh, or you know, <laughs> <burn>. <laughs> Anything for a little, fu- a little fun, just to try to get a little attention and start talking. You know, like where are we going? We pedicab rides. We go there, up hills, down hills, preferably no hills. <laughs> um,
0: Would you go anywhere in the city if someone asked you to?
1: If they pay for it, yeah. <laughs> if I could, if I could physically do it, yeah. <laughs> the furthest ride I've ever heard of was to Sausalito.
0: Someone did that. Mm-hmm. Someone was able to get up the hill to the bridge I think and then take I think, that thing down the hill to Sausalito. Oh yeah, my I, gosh! I think
1: there's two points where you have where the passengers get out.
0: Oh, oh, um, and that's I legit. Think
1: one of them is at Van S mm-hmm. and then the other is yeah up to the bridge. Mm-hmm. But yeah, what's up, Casper? And he <laughs> took he took some people from the Exploratorium to Sausalito.
0: I wonder how much he made.
1: I won't say. Okay. <laughs>
0: That's fair. So all-time favorite story from being a pedicab driver, all-time like horror story.
1: There's a few. You know, when you get people, let's say their team wins and they've been indulging Mm -hmm. and they're in a good mood, uh, you just hope that they're not going to try to stand up. (laughs) You got to keep them sitting down. Kids are fun. Mm -hmm. You know, kids that are into it are a lot of fun. Um, and
0: then they get to be like 12 years old and they're like, oh, mom.
1: Mm-hmm. I've, the rare occasion is the child that throws a fit to not get in the pedicab. Oh. Yeah, that's that's always an, that's always only happened a few times, but mm-hmm. it, it sticks out.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: I'd say one of the funnier lines I heard was this hey, he's a grown man. He's in the back and he says to his wife, I feel like a gladiator. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> <laughs> well... I'm, I'm... I've am gotten yelled at by pedestrians or people. Mm-hmm. I guess when it gets a little um, crazy after a baseball game and when the rides really start moving, the line system is kind of no longer there because we're going back and forth. So people are just flagging us down wherever they can. And I saw... An oh, out...
0: people usually wait for you in a line. Mm-hmm. Oh, We wow. have lines
1: up and down the Embarcadero. Oh, okay. Um, but outside the baseball stadium, w- when that last, last exodus of people come out, it gets just crazy and so we'll go to the ferry building, we're coming back and I I saw an elderly couple flag me down, so of course I'm gonna go get them and this woman is just pointing she's just shaking her finger at me and yelling at me and I didn't see her and her kid. I saw this older couple, so I told her I was like, I'm gonna take them, another one will be back shortly and she just looks at me, she goes, No And my taxi's number seventeen she goes, Number seventeen, never again
0: (laughs) Okay You get people
1: people can get really upset with you for
0: I would not have guessed that it would have been after a baseball game, but you've, like, mentioned a couple times. So that's that's a huge driver, pun intended, of yeah. <laughs> tra- traffic for you, huh?
1: Yeah, because we beat everyone to the stadium.
0: Mm-hmm. When
1: everyone's stuck in their uh, rideshare or in their car, we're just blasting through the bike lane.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. On our way. So it's it's really not just tourists who use the pedicab. Oh, no
1: locals, too. Yeah.
0: Right on. Yeah, well, they
1: make when you know people make a day of it, and make a day of going to a ball game, and they'll take a, they'll take a pedicab, and you can they can you know have their beer along the way.
0: That's right. Mm-hmm. What did you observe um, when last year Kevin Manning, the pedicab driver, mm-hmm. what was killed? Um, yeah, he. What was the reaction in the community?
1: I was out there the day the accident happened and i remember being in line at the ferry building he was first behind him was another driver named chris longnecker i believe and then it was myself and i was eating and thought about saying hello to him because he always wore this like sherlock hat and <laughs> he um uh, i never ha- i didn't have a i didn't have much of a relationship with him but when I would pull up, usually he'd kind of look at me and smile and just start laughing. I wasn't ever sure if he was laughing at me or laughing with me, but (laughs) it it was a, it was a characteristic that I I nonetheless enjoyed about him. And he worked for, he wrote for another company. Um, there's three companies he wrote for Cabrio. And so I know that that whole company has been deeply affected Mm. by his passing. Um, but the day that that, I believe it was a Monday that we all learned that he had succumbed to his injuries. It was very, very somber on the Embarcadero. There was maybe a handful of riders out there, but the rest of us, we went and we gathered at uh, the Cabrio parking lot and it was, you know, a lot of tears, a lot of words being spoken, a lot of stories being shared people drinking beer and hugging and sitting together and just processing. And then at Golden Gate Pedicab, I want to say about a week later, there was a barbecue held and a lot of food and another session of people sharing stories. And Kevin's daughter was there, Eurydice, and some of his other family members, I believe. And so it was just a gathering for all three companies came together and all the drivers just spending time and you know and then um shortly thereafter there was uh, a procession of petty cabbers that rode to i think it might have been the next day to inst- um uh, to set up a ghost bike memorial at the side of the accident so again i was not in any way shape or form close with kevin but in proximity to where i could observe Uh, the impact that his passing had on other drivers and he's still he's still in everyone's thoughts passed the ghost bike a lot yeah try to be there to listen to people who who really know him if they want to talk about it and still hoping that they are able to locate the person who's responsible
0: yeah yeah now you also bike to get around i do yeah and we we have even seen each other. We did. Caleb and Lily, uh, just riding riding home one day. What do you like about biking?
1: After after a day of pulling people around, I I just fly because it's my own body weight, and yeah, you just, you just have to get ready to um, balance again because I'm not. Like, the tricycle i don't have to balance <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah this uh, yeah. sixth sense thing that i've got it's to a start using strange thing to get used to when you get on three wheels is that it doesn't matter where you throw your body weight Yeah. it's all in the handlebars that's why they make you take a little driving test you go through like um cones and water bottles <laughs> and stuff
0: and uh, I suppose that you actually have to use that skill sometimes on the Embarcadero.
1: Yeah, that's <laughs> I call it acrobatics when you see us on the way to, say, the ballpark and it's busy. That, there's enough space usually between cars where we're sewing and just weaving through. And if there's, say, a line of three or four of us, the person who's in front usually finds those openings and then everyone follows suit. <laughs> and it's like this... Like centipede moving (laughs) through the cars. It's really fun.
0: So uh, we can find you along the Embarcadero. Mm -hmm. And uh, do you have... I mean, you set your own hours, but if we want to have the best chance of finding you...
1: I try to be out there by 11.
0: By 11? Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And hang out till around...
1: I'd say just before 5.
0: And the other place where we can catch you next again, outside of the... Pedicab Realm is in Transfers by Lucy Thurber. Again, that plays February 28th through March 23rd at Petrero Stage. It's a crowded fire production. Caleb, thank you so much for joining us on the Datebook Podcast.
1: <laughs> thank you as well. Thank you for having me, Lily. Um,
0: yeah. This show is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Our theme music is by Stephen Boyle. This show is produced by me. For more theater coverage, you can follow me on Twitter at Lily Janik. Check out all of our coverage at sfchronicle.com.